And I have a couple of friends here today, but one of them is Billy Falling, and he is a Cherokee, and uh, he is special in that he's running for United States Senate. Uh, so we have a, a senator that's uh, retiring uh, or whatever, and so uh, Billy Falling is taking up that, and that's a, that's a large job to take up. Billy, stand up just a minute. Uh, this is one of my favorite Cherokees in the whole world right here. Billy Falling, we welcome you. I've known him since about the late 70s, 78, 79, the Californians for Biblical Morality, and then beyond that, Moral Majority. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal, Billy. Thank you for being here. And Billy has written a book, that, and he didn't bring any with him because he's not pushing this, but uh, this is a really compelling book. It really is. It's about, uh, my, it's my Cherokee roots out of the Dog Creek Hills. And if you are interested in getting a book, I don't even know how much they are. $15, see him afterwards, and, or see me, and we'll get some here, but it's an incredible story, and I won't, I won't give away something, but it's, it's, it's remarkable, it's actually breathtaking in some places, some things that happened in his, in his life as a young man, so wanted to mention that. And visitors, thank you for coming to First Baptist Church today, we're glad that you're here. We have, uh, we have some folks that are out of town, we want to be praying for them, and I'll tell you what, I found out today, Brandy Kelly and her five kids are in Paris. What? You know, I mean, I was thinking maybe Paris, California, but no, Paris, France. And so they went there after the attacks. She was in England before that. So this, is, this lady is like, she's got to be brave. I mean, five kids in Europe. So uh, we want to be praying for Brandy and for children. We've got a missionary friend named Jason Powers who's in his, I think, 40s and um, really uh, is in a life-threatening situation with a blood infection in Cambodia. They've been to all the doctors, done everything they can think of to do. They've spent all their money, all their resources, and he is hovering literally between life and death with a blood infection. So we need to be praying for him. Uh, we have people out of town that are for the holidays, so the, the folks right in there are gone right now. And I asked Billy to sit right there where the Gorkins usually sit, so it wouldn't be... I don't like preaching to empty chairs because... They don't really ever, you know, listen very well or come forward in an invitation. I've never had a pew saved in my life. So well, I have saved some pews, but I've never had one saved. So, yeah, you'll get it later. All right. So let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence right now. We want to say thank you for uh, the opportunity to gather here together today. Thank you, Father, for each person who's here, visitors and members, attenders. We pray your blessings upon them. For those that are out of town, out of country for our guys and gals that are overseas, for military or whatever purpose, Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them safe and bring them back. Lord, may we be grateful, not just Thursday, may we be grateful every day of our lives for the beauty of the creation you've given to us, for the opportunity of knowing you personally, as one young man set up here, for the fact that your son died on the cross for our sins. May we be grateful every single day for every single blessing. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's a terrible disease affecting our nation. It has many different variations. A couple of them that you and I are probably familiar with are Alzheimer's and uh, something, a general term called dementia. Um, and um, it, it's, there, most of us know someone who has it. And it starts out with maybe forgetting things, 
So every time I forget something now, I think I'm probably in the throes of Alzheimer's. But uh, I've always forgot things. It's just now I have an excuse that I'm older, you know. So, uh, but I, I remember when my mom was affected by that. And um, I always thought it would be very, very sad if my mom didn't recognize me. And so she went into this little coma. And after a little while, she came out. And I was so excited. And I was talking to her. We were talking for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then she stopped and she said, now, who are you again? And I thought that would just crush me if that ever happened. But I'm going to tell you something. I was so excited she was out of the coma. I said, well, I'm your good son. You got another one who's messed up. You got a really, you know, daughter who's out. Of, she's whacked out. But I'm your good. She still didn't have a clue who I was, but she got a smile on her face because she knew I was pulling her leg. But that was the beginning of, uh, of really, I, I tell people, I lost my mom twice. I lost her once to uh, some form of dementia, and I lost her the second time when she actually passed away in, to, in 2011. Uh, there's another kind of, of different but, but related malady called amnesia. And I read about one time about a minister's son who enlisted in World War II and went to war, as so many young men did, and uh, uh, didn't see any action at all. So he did something which I think is crazy. He, he basically went UA and re-enlisted under another name uh, to be able to be sent into some combat situation. And there he received a head wound and had amnesia, and he couldn't remember or recognize anyone, and it was a real mess figuring that out because he wasn't really who he said he was anyhow. But amnesia, this disease is physically is, is very, very rare, but not so rare spiritually. And that's why the psalmist wrote this psalm, Psalm 103, and I'm going to read it from a different translation than perhaps you're used to, and it says this, Psalm 103, O my soul, bless God, from head to toe, I'll bless His holy name. O my soul, bless God, don't forget a single blessing, and I I make that in bold print in my notes here, don't forget a single blessing. The blessings of God, if you sit down and try to begin to write them out, are absolutely overwhelming. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, every one. He heals your diseases, every one. He redeems you from hell. He saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy. It's a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in his presence. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how he went about his work and opened up his plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He is rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love to those who fear him. And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, as far as the east is from the west, he has separated us from our sins as parents Feel for their children. God feels for those who fear him. Psalm 103, 1 through 13. Kipling, Rudyard Kipling said it this way, lest we forget, lest we forget. Ingratitude really is spiritual amnesia, not being thankful for the blessings of God, not expressing thanksgiving for the blessings of God is spiritual amnesia. Some of you have blessings this year you didn't have last year. Maybe a new job, maybe bills under control, maybe restored health, maybe some food in the refrigerator or the pantry, maybe a savings account, maybe a new baby, 
Maybe a, a, a loved one got saved. Maybe a wayward child came back to the family. Or better yet, maybe a wayward child came back to God. The Bible says, give thanks to always for all things unto God. doesn't say to give thanks to Visa or Discover Card or MasterCard, but give thanks to God. So I want to propose to you today, if you, if you want to spoil your Thanksgiving, if you want to ruin your Thanksgiving, I'm going to give you some ideas how to ruin your Thanksgiving. First of all, forget the many good things in your life. Forget about the good things. How many have health? Not to raise your hands, but how many have health? How many have happiness in some form, some measure or other? How many have family? Uh, we have some family visiting here, and, uh, and people are excited about having family here, especially at the holiday time. How many have received Christ as their Lord and Savior? And so consequently, you know that eternity is going to be with the Lord. Eternity is going to be uh, in heaven with God and with loved ones who've known Christ. And, and all of the things that weighed us down on this earth are going to be gone one day. And all of the friendships that we've, we've missed because of people dying are going to be restored one day if they knew Christ as their Savior. And you know Christ as your Savior. And we'll be able to see God and be with God. I mean, think about eternity. Think about what, what salvation means. Think about, uh, as, as was mentioned up here a little while ago, food and shelter, a place to live and a food to eat and peace in our land, as far as we know, except for some isolated things on some military bases and so on and, and an isolated incident here and there. No more 9-11s since 9-11, 2001. Something to be thankful for. In the light of what's going on in Paris, in the light of what is going on in Brussels, possibly, in the light of what goes on in so many places that we don't even hear about, for whatever reason, the blessings that we have, the blessings of children, the blessings of good friends. We got some good friends here today. Blessings of good friends. Blessings of living in California. Oh, there's a few weird things about it, but the blessings of living in California, the blessings of the Chargers being here. Well, forget that. Uh, the blessing of the, the flowers and the beauty of them and the tropical fish and the incredible colors and the, and the sunrises and the sunsets and, and air to breathe and, uh, and indoor plumbing. I mean, you know, uh, some of us can remember, uh, you know, going to visit people or maybe, maybe you remember being in a place where you didn't have indoor plumbing. And, and some of you younger people are saying, what? what are you talking about now? You have no idea. Clean water to drink. A lot of countries don't have that. Central, uh, I was going to say air conditioning. We don't have that here. Uh, central air uh, for heating purposes. And if it ever gets cold here, we'll, we'll be able to turn the heater on. and It'll warm it back up. You want to be, you want to spoil your Thanksgiving. Forget all the good things that God's done for us. To be able to have transportation, to be able to have uh, the freedom to speak out our, our, our minds and to say what we want to say. I mean, forget about all the good things. Secondly, emphasize the things that you lack. You want to really spoil and wreck your Thanksgiving? Talk about the things that you don't have. Talk about the things that you wish you had. Talk about um, the, 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 how unfair it is that, you know, you, what you're going through is, is what you because it, it's just not fair. I, I'm thinking about all these uh, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but these college kids on campuses, you know, uh, free tuition, free uh, forgiving of all the debt, uh, you know, you owe us, you owe us, you owe us, you spoiled, stinking, rotten is what they are. Emphasizing what we don't have. Life is not, hey, guess what? Life is not fair. 
Learn it. Own it. It's not fair. Get over it. It wasn't fair that Jesus died for you. I'm thankful he did. Forget all the good things you do have and list all the reasons why you, have, you ought to be miserable today. And then contrast that with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 that says, Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious, the best, not the worst. Think about the best things, not the worst things. The beautiful, not the ugly. The things to praise, not the things to curse. And then he says in verse 11 of Philippians 4, actually, he says, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if you really want to be miserable, be negative because people will love to be around you. It makes them feel so good to be around you and you will be so happy if you're negative. No, no, no. Dwell on the good things, what you do have, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. Number three, put great value on accumulating money. Make that one of your primary goals. And unfortunately, a lot of people, that is their number one goal, is to make a lot of money. Now, let's face it, money is necessary to live, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Greed is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The, the, the undesirable, or the, the, the great desire, the lust for it, that we call greed, that's the root of all evil. One man I pastored several years ago uh, wouldn't work, much to his wife's chagrin. He just wouldn't work. He said, God will take care of me. I'm his kid. He'll take care of me. Well, my dad's name was Charles Bays, and he was my earthly father, and if I didn't work, he would take care of me all right. But it wasn't the way I wanted to be taken care of. It was, it was uh, corrective type taken care of. And God doesn't say, go sit somewhere and I'll feed you. Go sit somewhere and I'll bring every need that you have and every want and desire you have to you. But rather, uh, it's up to us to go out and to earn a living. It's up to us to provide for our families and provide for ourselves. But we've got to keep in mind, well, it shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul. Money is not everything. Money is not even on the scale of anything compared to the blessings that God can give to you. You know, Steve Jobs, I don't know how many, I don't know, you could look it up. I don't know how many hundreds of millions or maybe billions of dollars, I don't know, that he had. But he would have traded it all, I think, for a cure for his cancer. Besides, the, uh, the Bible teaches a, a rich person will have many more sorrows and more temptations than everyone else. Do you realize that? A rich person has a lot more temptations and sorrows. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Isn't that amazing? The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. You would think, okay, if they love money, if they get enough of it, they would be, but it, they can't get enough of it. How much more do you need? Like someone said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Nor the ones who love wealth with big profits. That doesn't even satisfy them. It says in this translation, that's just more smoke. The more loot you get, the more looters show up. And what fun is that to be robbed in broad daylight? Hard and honest work earns a good night's sleep, whether supper is beans or steak. <laughs> I love this translation. It's hard work, hard and honest work 
earns a good night's sleep whether supper is beans or steak. But a rich man's belly gives him insomnia. See, next time you have a bowl of beans or some top ramen for dinner and you say, oh, man, I wish I could have some burritos and, you know, some jalapeno poppers and I wish I could afford. You know, they probably give you indigestion. You'd be up half the night. There's a piece of bad luck I've seen happen, he says. A man hoards far more wealth than is good for him and then loses it all in a bad business deal. So the love of money is root of all evil. Money, don't look for that to satisfy your needs. Don't, like, don't look for that for you to become thankful. Be thankful that your needs are provided by a heavenly Father. Number four, you want to ruin your thanksgiving. Be sure that you to think that you're indispensable. God just somehow, you know, when he created you, I don't know how he got along before he created you. And I don't know how he's going to get along when you're off the scene. Because you're just so remarkable and incredible and indispensable. Not. None of us are. All of us that are born of women, I think that includes just about everybody here, are full of troubles. As the sparks fly upward, we have problems. And none of us are indispensable. And every one of us, unless the Lord comes back pretty soon, every one of us are going to die. And God, who got along without us before we were on the scene, will get along without us after we're off the scene. While we're special in his eyes, and not even a sparrow falls to the ground, but when he takes note, and you're of much more value than a sparrow, we are valuable to him, but we are not indispensable. We are not irreplaceable. So watch out for pride. Daniel or Deuteronomy 8, 14 says, Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God. So don't get puffed up. That's why God allows us to have so many critics, is to keep us humble. Number five, you want to ruin your thanksgiving? Forget about other people. Forget others. Most of the time, the scriptural principles found in God's Word for living life are the diametric principles from the world's or even from our own natural inclinations. For example... We think to have, we've got we to we've accumulate and stack it up. We went to a, an estate sale looking around, and this lady had, um, or this, I assume it was a lady, uh, ladies' clothes and everything, but the house was full. I mean, one whole huge room upstairs, some closets downstairs, and part of the garage were full of Christmas decorations. Full of them. I, I'm like... You know, how, how do you, what do you do with that? The idea to, to, to have, you've got to accumulate. You've got to get it all together. How many remember Scrooge McDuck and his swimming pool full of money? How many remember that, you know? He used to do the backstroke and, uh, and, and, uh, and his pool full of money. And to have, you've got you've to accumulate it. But the Bible says in order to have, you've got to give. Doesn't make sense, but it works. To rule, you must serve. God doesn't, God's not interested in you being a king or a potentate. One of those rallies we went to, Billy, I just thought of this. One of those rallies was at Albar Shrine years ago. You remember that? Uh, and, uh, and I got there, and every parking place was taken. Every park except for one. And it had a sign out, reserved for the most high potentate. I said, works for me. <laughs> Pulled right in there, and it did. It worked for me. 
You don't rule by ruling. You rule by serving. That's the kind of servant leadership that God applauds and loves. And here's one. To have friends, you've got to show yourself what? Friendly. You've got you to go outside of yourself. You've got to go to someone. That's why we had everybody greet everybody a few minutes ago. You, well, nobody shook my hand. Well, you know what? Whose hand did you shake? People aren't friendly to me. Well, are you friendly to them? And yet to be, to be happy, too many of us look out for number one, numero uno. Put, put, oh, it's my, you know, this is for me. This is my time. Well, that's not how to be happy. God says that's wrong-headed. He gives us the story of the Good Samaritan to kind of underscore and illustrate the fact that we need to be concerned about others. Do you think that priest and Levite who walked by on the other side were really happy and fulfilled. The Samaritan here helped out a, a, a Jewish guy who, who was needy and broken and maybe would have died on the roadside. I don't know. Don't you think that did something for him? There's something about helping people and being there for other people and, and doing something for other people that rewards and blesses and makes us happy and thankful. So watch out for others. One of my favorite preachers used to quote this poem. Lord, help me to live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer shall be for others. Help me in all the work I do to ever be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others. Let self be crucified and slain and buried deep and all in vain. May efforts be to rise again unless to live for others. And when my work on earth is done and my new work in heaven's begun, may I forget the crown I've won while thinking still of others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like thee. Paul said, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Romans twelve ten. Wycliffe says it this way. They are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and they are to outdo one another in showing respect for each other. Is there a lot of that in your workplace? Is there a lot of that in your command? Outdoing each other and showing respect for each other? Matthew Henry says about this verse, all our duty towards one another is summed up in one word, love. The disciples' Bible says, disciples love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We seek the well-being of one another even at the cost of personal self-interest. When's the last time you put your own personal desires, needs, and aspirations on the back burner in order to meet someone else's? Life application notes of that same verse says, why not try to outdo one another in showing honor? Put others first. The Apostle Paul preached for others. John the Baptist baptized others. Peter reached others. Nathaniel led others to Christ. The Samaritan woman told others about the Lord. Jesus died for others. He didn't do that for himself. He did that for us. Someone said, we're getting close to Christmas. Someone said the smallest present there is is someone wrapped up in themselves. Too many of us are wrapped up in ourselves when we need to serve others and we need to minister others and we need to pray for others and we need to visit others and we need to witness others and we need to feed others and we need to pay a bill for others and we need to be polite for others and we need to send a note to others and we need to be extravagantly generous to others. And by the way, you reap what you sow. 
Last point is this. You want to spoil your Thanksgiving? Don't get saved if you're not saved. Don't get right with God. Ignore the prayers of loved ones, maybe your mom or your dad. Ignore the pleadings of your wife or your husband, your children or your parents. Make Thanksgiving Day a turkey day. Make it a football day. Make it a holiday, not a holy day. Make it a day for you to indulge yourself, your own desires, your own, your own fancies, whatever, whatever excites you. But don't, whatever you do, don't express gratitude to Almighty God. Determine you'll live life the way you want to live it. You'll be your own boss. You'll go your own way. And I guarantee you, you will ruin your Thanksgiving. But if you want a happy and a fulfilled Thanksgiving, thank God. Hey, there's something wrong with the Thanksgiving holiday. There's one thing wrong with it. It's just one day a year. Thanksgiving is a seven days a week, 12 months out of the year, 24 hours a day proposition. So thank God. Be thankful to Him. Emphasize your blessings. Be optimistic. Serve others. What can you do to lighten others' loads? Make sure of your salvation. Make sure of your walk with God. Make sure you're close to Him today before you leave right now. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Is there anything that I've mentioned that if you were to be honest, you'd say, you know what, preacher? I've been guilty of that. I really have. I've been guilty of doing at least one of these things that has the potential to spoil my thanksgiving. Everyone thinking about that, just for a moment, okay? Everyone thinking about that. Preacher, I'm guilty of at least one of these things. At least one of these things that would spoil my thanksgiving. Would you be honest with every head bowed, every eye closed? Would you raise your hand? Just hold it up for a moment. I've been guilty of one of these things. God bless you, folks. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. How many would say, Pastor, the most important thing is I don't know Christ as my Lord and Savior. If I died right now, I do not know that I would go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. I won't embarrass you. Just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand up right now? I'm not sure, preacher, if I died, I'd go to heaven. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. It's important to realize that all that's necessary to become a Christian and a child of God is to put your faith, trust in what Jesus did for you. It's not what you can do. It's what Jesus did for you. He died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sins. And if you'll pray in sincerity, asking Him to forgive you of your sins, to be your Savior, your Lord, your Master, He'll do that right where you're seated. So I'm going to invite you right now to pray that prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray something like this. You don't have to pray out loud. God knows what's going on in your mind, in your heart. Would you say something like this? Dear God, I know I need Christ in my life. I know I need these sins forgiven. I need to be washed clean from my sinful thoughts and actions and words. I want to be really thankful this year for maybe the very first time. And I want to be thankful that I'm part of your family, Lord. 
So forgive me of my sins. Turn my life around. Help me to go in a completely different direction than what I've been going on my own. I trust you as my Lord, my Savior, and my God. And I pray it in Jesus' name.